Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. Head on over to beenawake.com and subscribe with your email address. If you're within the sound of my voice, I need you to follow me today. Well, what's up, everybody? I am coming to you from Miami for 305. I'm down here on vacation, hanging out with my cousin Matthew, who hasn't been on the show since, what, like episode 8? Uh, something like that. It was election season yeah. still. But all, like, yeah, three years ago when we elected President Biden, <laughs> yeah, right? right. <laughs> something like that. But yeah, I'm in town. We're hanging out. Um, I thought we would go through. Didn't get a ton of articles done this week. It's been, uh, well, you know, coming, kind of coming up on a, on a crazy week. Um, but I think everybody's going to be excited about some of the stuff that I'll be working on next week. Cause I think I'm the only person who, when he goes on vacation, gets excited about the fact that he can write more. That's always the time that I do most of the most of my writing. It's how I started the Been Awake project was on vacation. Uh, so yeah, I'm a weird dude, but you probably already knew that if you were listening to this show. <laughs> so two articles this week. Um, we'll just we'll kind of get right into it, and we're gonna end on that uh, lovely um, some lovely words from our president. Don't forget that he's our president. Uh, and so the first article that I wrote this week is called is I, I called is this why things are changing. Narrative discipline and FOIA. So narrative discipline, I've been, um, lately I've been playing with some concepts and it'll be nice since I'm not doing this 100% solo to see kind of how you react to them if it's clear because frankly I never know if what I'm saying makes sense, which is ironic considering I think I call what I do sense making. Well, that's why I'm here to figure out what makes sense. <laughs> exactly. So you know, sometimes it's just writing. So this is um, this is obviously we had some uh, we had some big revelations this past week as it relates to government policy and uh, the and the pandemic. So let's get into it. So on March eighth, the CDC was recommending people wear masks even after vaccinations for many situations. That changed on May sixteenth, when the CDC rendered mask wearing moot with clear exceptions which is to say that we're all going to have to wear masks on a plane indefinitely, which I called last May. I'm not happy about being right, but I was. Many critics of the government's policy around mask wearing had pointed out that there wasn't sufficient incentive in place for people to receive the vaccination. To be clear, I think it's a great thing that the federal government decided to catch up with states like Texas and Florida in their own way by, again, by rendering mask wearing moot, right? Because basically what they, they've said now is that if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask in most places. And even a state like Illinois that I'm from has been, um, you know, they, they've actually adopted this as well. So like I went to a White Sox game. They didn't make me wear a mask to go through security. Nobody gave me a hassle about it. You know, just walking around the ballpark in my seats in between sips, none of that stuff, which I know was happening to people beforehand. Um, many. Um, so, yeah. Sorry, I'm doing this off my phone today. So it's a little different than my computer screen. Um, it's how they can, so the federal government catching up with Texas and Florida is how they can continue to control and shape the narrative, which is by the way, what any federal agency is tasked with doing, especially something in the realm of like, let's say public health, which is the broader umbrella that this fits in. They can maintain a certain level of austere scientific know-how while loosening the rope on the throat of American citizens. So the last week we covered Dr. Fauci's changing tone on the lab leak hypothesis, which really came out of nowhere. Um, He now claims that the matter should be investigated fully. As a bureaucrat, Fauci and others like him are adept at double talk, right? Um, They are, there's always, they'll never fully commit to a position and they're always going to take a stance that's with wiggle room. So like, for example, if you were to listen to some of Scott, um, Scott Adams's recent live streams, He's kind of pointed this out uh, and where we're seeing this play out, right? Like people in people in our circles are all like, this is why Fauci lied. He's an asshole. He needs to get out of all, you know, we need to get rid of him. There's there's, you know, Jack Posobiec tweeted that he was going to go out. But then the reality of the emails, which is always the case in these situations, and it's important to it's important to remember is there's almost never a smoking gun. 
yeah, there, there's never that one big thing that you can point to and say, ha, yeah, we got him. Prison right now. Right. It, it's always, you got to read between the lines. It's hinting at things, suggesting at things, but they're very, very careful about what information they allow to be released to the public. Exactly. And we'll get into like my, this conception I've been working on of like the egalitarian delusion in the next piece, but this is kind of a part of it. This, it plays into this as well, because one, one thing that I can't stand is when there's an adult, right? So, you know, if you're under the age of 25, I can make an exception for you. Um, if you haven't been around, but it's the weirdest thing when somebody in their like in their fifties and their, or their sixties kind of comes like, well, they're just all idiots. Like Fauci's just an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And it's like, no, he knows what he's doing. It's that's what makes it so insipid. It, it's very, very calculated. Nothing is by accident. These right. are not people who are just haphazardly bumbling around and mm-hmm. falling all over themselves. There's there's a lot that goes into this. And I think that's where, you know, last week I wrote the, that piece about uh, after listening to Eliza Blue's interview with Malice. And it's it's just like it's hard to face evil. I think it's. I think that's. I think that's part of the reason. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, it's the. Are they incompetent or are they maniacal? And the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, if we're being honest. But sure, and different for different, different cases, different di- people, and different people in the government. But in the case of somebody like Fauci, who's like the the highest paid government employee ever, makes more money than the president does, which is ridiculous on the face of it when you really kind of contend with it. Is you know, for the case of him, it's it should be maniacal. Like, I mean. It, whether the guy is right about the response, the public health response, doesn't change the fact that he was able to go to some kind of postgraduate work. So there's a level of intelligence there that then makes, again, the decisions that they make so much more on the maniacal side of things than the um, than, than than the oopsie side of things, I well, guess. And and speaking of malice, he one of his uh, famous Twitter polls. Uh, recently, I don't know if you saw it, but he it was the question was something to the effect of, "Do you think that Dr. Fauci is smarter than the average doctor?" Mm-hmm. And you might be inclined to think like, "Oh, he probably knows as much about medicine as the average epidemiologist, or something like that." But if you think about it, sort of smarter or more intelligent in terms of how calculated he's been mm-hmm. and how careful he is about what he says in the public, I think that's where you start to, you know, measure intelligence differently. And right. Well, and there's like it, it's a different. It's also a a different question you know when people intelligence is is its own can of worms right um and certainly the way i use it is like okay somebody can have a moderate level of intelligence just means that they're able to grasp concepts that's different from having like specialized knowledge right which somebody could have you know hypothetically there's a situation where there's a doctor who knows everything about medicine right let's say but they know nothing about economics which is a very which is the whole intersection of public choice yes. uh, or public health to begin with is trying to figure this this sort of thing out and, and these things these things all exist and they just they, they, they matriculate downwards through society into the conversations that people have with their loved ones uh, you know which is really just opinions that are assigned to people based off the sources that they follow which is which is such a pain and we see this for example with the lab leak hypothesis but let's so let's let's keep reading the piece and we're kind of and we'll get into the because the crux of this is the idea of narrative discipline um so now fauci is claiming that we need to we need to fully investigate the lab leak hypothesis even though a year ago at this time people were getting banned from social media platforms for daring for daring to act to, to to question the possibility that you know, given that this arose in a province called Wuhan in China, and there is the Wuhan Institute of Virology, that you know they dared to question like, could it have been an escape from that? And and this is um, I think actually I wrote about this. I do this sometimes, by the way, when I do my show, is I like I'll get onto my next point and then like get back to him like, oh, I just made this point. I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna. <laughs> Man, the guy writing these articles, he's yeah. a, he's a smart cookie. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. He knows exactly where I'm going. Um, but so let's be clear about the lab leak hypothesis, as it's very susceptible to the binary arguments that the press that the corporate press put puts out there. The hypothesis is not a, about a doomsday narrative with a hero like James Bond rushing against the ticking clock to stop the evil scientists in Wuhan. It points out the distinct possibility that a virus manipulated in a laboratory for ostensibly credible research could have escaped due to poor control measures put into place. Accidents happen after all. It just doesn't pay for a government to admit to them at first, which is how we get into this idea of narrative discipline. So when you first and this is and this is it's an analogy, right? So so I kind of came up I like this just popped into my head as I was thinking about um uh you know like shooting a firearm. So when you're t- when you learn to shoot a firearm, you are taught that there are three critical areas you must be in control of when handling a weapon at all time. 
at all times. These three areas are the muzzle, the action, and the trigger. So the muzzle would be the barrel, right? The muzzle is the part where the bullet actually comes out. The action is the part that expels the cases after, you know, after a bullet, uh, um, the casing after the bullet is actually fired. And then, of course, the trigger is the thing that you pull to make the boomstick go boom. Um, trigger discipline is how you can tell. So this is, you know, trigger discipline is how you can tell when an actor has been trained to use firearms on TV or not. Now, I'd like to think that most of my audience kind of has, a, if, if they haven't shot a firearm before, at least has been to a range or has somebody in their life that likes firearms and has talked about it. But this is, but this is what trigger discipline is. Trigger discipline is your finger never goes on the trigger. Um, you don't put your finger anywhere near the trigger until you are prepared to fire and not fire in the sense that I'm going to maybe pull the trigger in 30 seconds, but literally I am going to shoot what is in front of me. Therefore, my finger will be on the trigger at any point before that you're, you're generally speaking, what's accepted in the community is that you want to have your index finger fully extended along the barrel of the barrel of, or whatever, whatever part of the weapon that it, I think that's technically the receiver on like a rifle and then, but on a pistol, like my pistol, it would be the barrel cause it's a tiny thing. Um, anyway, even when unloaded, because you should always treat a firearm as if it is loaded. There is an analogy here with handling a loaded weapon and maintaining narrative discipline. And, and narrative is, as we'll kind of get into in the next piece, if this is, this is a show, right? This is a show where we go deeper into issues than most people would, would even think is possible. And sometimes, and the deeper you go, the more you realize that narrative is far more important than fact in almost everything. Yeah, absolutely. Because while we might sit here and, you know, we'll, you and I might have fun with adjudicating the numbers. Not, not everybody does. And so people just want the big picture. And by the way, if people didn't just want the big picture, easy solutions, we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have exchange. We wouldn't have markets. Everybody would just literally live as an island and we wouldn't have society, I don't think. Right. Like at a fundamental level, if we weren't interested in people creating solutions for us or in having or if we weren't easy and if we weren't interested in things being easy, there would be no need for exchange because everybody would be willing to do all the work. Right. Everybody would do everything for themselves, try to be self-sufficient, whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is and so this is a good thing, but it can be manipulated, which is kind of the point. That's a large that's a large theme on the show is this is less to do. I think I, I try to point out stuff that has to do with human nature as such and then how that because uh, i like to say the last thing i am is a libertarian so there's a lot more that goes in there's a lot more that goes into who i am than this political identity sure. that i came to or this philosophical identity that i came to as an adult right there's my there's my genetics there's the where i was how i grew up where i grew up you know the the fact that my major life events like parents dying or getting divorced or staying together having siblings not having siblings we know that these um that this operates both at the level of behavior and also at the level of um biology with like epigenetics and things like that and you can change you know things will change based off of somebody's environment at like literally a genetic level so that's so that's kind of so that's kind of pointing out here it's like yeah people don't if you're so, if you have an interest in facts and figures that's great but most people and you for most things are only going to care about the narrative. For example, your car, right? Like you don't really care. You might not care how your transmission gets put together or you might not care as I do. Cause it's like, it's the work that I do. Like all like upstream where the transmission components are being made. You don't care. You don't care how that works. You don't care. You just care that your car turns on. You just want it to run. You yeah. want to get from point A to point B. Right. And, and it's the fact that the car runs, which is why you drive it. And you know, it enables society. Um, so when taining a narrative, you must be emphatic on the boundaries of allowable discussion, but be ready to expand those boundaries to maintain your control. Like a firearm, there are different components that come together to serve this end. For narrative discipline, this includes your avenues of distribution, press outlets, social media, etc., and the people charged with maintaining your boundaries. So the reason why I wanted to bring this up in particular, and you know, you tell me what you think of this, is... This is, I like to say, you know, a lot of times when I do an interview or, you know, when you're talking to somebody, people will say like, is it different now? Like, is it really that different now? And I am personally somebody who's fond of saying no. I don't really think that what has, ch I don't think what has changed about humanity is humanity per se. It's the tools that we have at our disposal, which is one of those things that you say that sounds really like, like so simple that it might be dumb, 
But the more you reflect and the more you meditate on that kind of an idea, the closer you're going to come to understanding what it is we're actually dealing with with this technological wave that we still have no control over, really, if we think about the Internet. Does that, does that make sense at all? Do you have any questions or comments? Huh? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Um, but so, but, but like, so, so the narrative discipline, right? So just like trigger discipline, it's about trigger discipline is making sure at all times you're safely handling a firearm. And narrative discipline would also be this idea that at the same time, you're trying to make sure that you can control your population. Now, for good or ill, that's what a government agency is going to do. Right. People in our circles would always say would you know, tend to say ill on almost all side of things. Other people would say good almost all side of things. But it, but, the, but but that's the point is when you're talking at a population level and you're trying to control people at a population level, the narrative needs to be precise, which is which is exactly why a year ago the lab leak hypothesis was impossible. But the nature of technology today means that people like us can actually spread and talk about information i've talked about this before in the context of like outsiders or people who don't really fit into the mold because before the internet you know okay so like you and i are related right but before the internet and before the internet we might have talked on the phone every now and then but you know we live across the country from each other so it would have been difficult to like keep up uh, think of and if you think of a world without without a telephone but with the internet we can kind of live together online and like share stories and you know see the same types of news sources you're not reading the miami newspaper and i'm not reading the chicago newspaper and so there's differences we're reading we're reading the stuff from mises we're reading the stuff from zero hedge you know all these other we're, we're watching the same kinds of interviews and this is something that the internet allows for and i think this is one of the reasons why we're seeing the crackdown on of social media right and there's a lot of people have different opinions on this but i'm kind of I don't quite understand why people seemingly go out of their way to get banned, especially if you're trying to have like a platform where you're trying to disseminate information. And there's this like badge that I've noticed with some people that it's like, well, you know, they're probably going to ban me for this. Yeah, that that doesn't make any sense to me either. When I see people who have that attitude, it's like, well, well, no, you ostensibly what you're trying to do is communicate a message to people. Mm-hmm. And and you're trying to inform people or, or whatever it is you're trying to do. I, and I understand that the powers that be are completely against you. And I, I can see where sort of there's, I guess, a street cred aspect of like, oh, yeah, I was banned. But it's probably in your best interests to stick with the channels that are going to help you reach the most people. Yeah. And... and for better or for worse, you know, we're sort of limited in, in what those options are, but right. it, it doesn't necessarily serve you to go out of your way to get kicked off of those platforms. And, and look, I think different people have different missions. Not everybody has to do what I'm doing. And in fact, they shouldn't because A, because they can't. Sure. <laughs> <And> B, <laughs> uh, but B, because, you know, other people have different things. So this is more, it's just, so like one thing I wrote last, an idea that I wrote about last week was like, if you're, if you're operating on the major te- tech platforms at this point in time, because again, I'm kind of, I, I really I really react against this um, conservative, but also boomer notion of like, well, things were better in the past. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so it, it's, yeah, this, totally. it's, this, it's this idea that things were better in the past, that it's, you know, it's far worse today because of all the things going on. And it's just, you know, it just used to be a better place. And I really react against that idea. Um and for this reason, because that being said, you know, 10 years ago, Facebook was a different place. The Internet was a different place. Google was a different place. But rather than pining for that ideal, I think it's far better to um, to, to take the I always like to say you have to understand the, what, how the board looks and you have to understand how the players move. And if you're not going to do that, I don't think you're doing anything that's useful. And I think so much of and it's on the left, too, but so much of the right is this like reaction or by, by their by their nature okay fine so let's move to the more interesting point is this reactive element and in particular where i've seen this is like uh, it, should i do it okay fine it's like oh well we just need a king again yeah and there's this yeah. which is kind of like the full which is which is what some of the which is a particular like the nrx guys and i'm not like Fine, let's have the debate it's, of the it's best sort of the form hop, of government. Uh, the Hoppian argument of monarchy is preferable to democracy, which right. is not, I don't think is totally ridiculous. I, I, I certainly understand. There's a logic to it. Yes. Yeah, yeah I'm not denying, I'm not denying the logic. I, from my own personal standpoint, I just, I tend to view the form of government as more accidental than that. 
Like I don't, I don't know that it's really, I think if you had a king ruling over 330 million people, you'd see the same levels, you see the same level yeah, of bureaucracy. things would not be better if it was, you know, King Joe Biden or King right. whatever, whoever Well, effectively it is. we have a king, right? Effectively we have an emperor yeah. considering the fact that the legislature at the federal level doesn't do anything. Right. And they're more interested right now in having a show, tri- a sham show trial about January 6th than they are with actually getting any sort of real legislation done. Mm. And we know, and this is, you know, this is an important fact too, and if you're ever in an argument or a conversation where somebody's open to it, it's really important, and I think libertarians kind of lose the plot on this, because especially the more anarchist libertarians, given that you're kind of, you're, you know, you reject the system wholesale. So it's difficult for you to meet people where they are, which is what we have to do in a persuasion argument. Mm-hmm. But it's really, if you can get people to sit down and, and get somebody in the frame of mind to listen, as I'm hoping you are listening to the show, it's really important to remember that we haven't had whatever you were taught about in a civics class about the way Congress functioned hasn't existed for, for like at least, 20 years if it ever really existed if it ever really existed but i do know there were times in congress where you were able to do have something closer to a debate and you were able to offer amendments on a bill and you didn't do these how far are we going back now we're going back 30 years it's not it's not even that far because it's this is also you know this is the omnibus bill right where we have to put everything into one and it's just an up-down vote there was more there was a time period and this spans both parties where it was it was done less there was still a lot of pork right there's still the corruption elements i'm not like i'm not denying any of that but it's also but a lot of people just still think that that's how the legislature operates is in this way that you would assume the legislature operates or if you're a kid and you go through one of these government simulations that you would do it that you would do there right like i remember I, i i participated in a couple of those in illinois and they were frankly they were frankly fun um but there was this like there's this attitude of like, well, we can get all this stuff done. And it's like, yeah, because there's no, there's no stakes here. There's no power. Right. There's no money. This is literally just it, people it, it's arguing. It's for fun. It's, mm-hmm. it's for the spirit of, of the debate, yeah. for, the, for the experience. Now, you want to know what's fun about that is I was in the minority party, which in Illinois, as you might imagine, is the Republicans. And so we had a very libertarian bent for the Republicans in the simulation. And the Democrats actually had to, had to whip their people into shape. Oh, because no they kidding. were vote, they were voting across the aisle because we were doing such a good job with wow. messaging, Even, and in this low st- so it's funny in this low stakes context that then you know people still have their egos to deal with. And I yeah. remember, <laughs> I remember the guy. He's a nice dude. I don't know that he'll ever listen to this, but there's there's the guy who was like opposite me as the majority leader in the simulation. Kind of like I, I won an award that year, which is pretty considering the fact that it's illinois and i was taking a very liberty stance is is something is not is not nothing to sh- is something to shake a stick at um given the internal politics of the organization i remember the guy who was the majority leader kind of came over to me was like yeah you know i was a little upset you won and then i remembered that i like helped you last year when you came here for the first time so i figured you know it's my award too <laughs> this is what this guy said to me wow at, at, at like the party and I, you know like whatever like he was a nice enough guy um and so, like, I just, you know, I'm a very magnanimous person and I don't really care. But it's just it's funny that that was even, you know, that was even what he was doing, even though he was telling people they wouldn't get speaking time if they kept uh, if they kept agreeing with with what we were saying. Um, where was I going with this? Well, I was going I was I was I'm making the point that it doesn't work like that because the stakes are so much higher. In part, you know, in that I, I believe in decentralization. I think it's because of the amount of people that are involved in these sorts of things. Just given and 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 then I also think I have to. I'm about halfway through the Machiavellians right now. I'm kind of realizing that I've always had a bit of a Machiavellian streak to me, which is just interesting. I'm like, and maybe it's because I was reading similar stuff or just being in the larger milieu mm-hmm. at this point. So I don't know how much is osmosis, how much is like stuff that came from my from prior schooling and what have you. Um, but like, but it's it's so understanding things in terms of the elite is 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 a very very useful in a very very useful frame to put things in and i think one of the things we're seeing and there's a few ways that i would say this but one of the things we're seeing is we're we have to be at the end of this circular the circulation of elites like one story we're not going to talk about is that the g we don't have we i don't have all the specifics but like right now they're working on some global tax framework for the world right yeah, now. Yeah, like a global corporate tax, something, mm-hmm. something, something to that yep. effect. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and so, but like this, this, this seems to me to be a very obvious effort on the part of all these people because listen, whether it's, you know, some of the players change, but like 
the name Angela Merkel has been around my entire life. Yeah. Right. The name Nancy Pelosi has been around my entire life. The name Joe Biden has been around my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. The individual actors might have changed in certain contexts. Uh, Vladimir Putin. Right. Another great example. There's of been that. a Bush around forever. Right. Bush, a Clinton, and they're still and the Obamas are also doing a lot behind yep. the scenes. These people. It, understanding things in terms of the elites, I think, is is incredibly helpful and is part of the more populist bent that I think we've that a lot of us have taken over the last few years. Yeah, and I I, I will say um, one benefit of Trump mm-hmm. or sort of the Trump movement. You know, no big fan of Trump, yeah. but one of the big benefits of him was how transparent it became to the average person. How. Th- these elites this is not about republican versus democrat Mm -hmm. this is about they are the elite ruling class Mm -hmm. and everybody else is not and they don't care if there's an r or a d next to their name they are they have their own self-interests they are all in their own social circles they Mm -hmm. go to their own cocktail parties and they have themselves and their money and their power to look after and they do not care about you and it's it's not about left and right Mm -hmm. it's about the powerful versus the powerless or those with less power. And it's fascinating. It's not fascinating. It's it's disheartening the degree to which even in a community that is so outside of the mainstream like libertarians are is how few people will be willing to recognize that. Yeah. Speci- and because, you know, you say that, but that really that, that that's what the people who liked Trump ended up going that direction is they really saw the elites. Um but for there was but then you have like the Mitt Romney types, right? Just to just to use a person to create to create and he's part of it, but he also represents a, a voting block within the Republican Party, which has you know, which has rejected any sense of radicalism. Um, but to your point and to the question of the elites is really puts into frame how much of party politics we witness at the at the federal level in particular state level it gets a little bit different but at the federal level in particular how much of it is literally for show which we've covered yes. on the show with like interview like the justin amash interview with michael with, malice with malice yeah talked about this it's a few episodes ago or you can find mm-hmm. it in um if you search the or archives he, i think he said he was literally given a script of They're questions li- to ask yes. at, at committee media yeah. hearings and, yeah. and because we like don't that. do debate in this country right right not like the way the brits do instead we have hearings which i haven't quite grasped entirely what that means but it but it's interesting that they do it in these hearing settings and that's really where these these representatives and these senators have their that that's their moment to shine especially for the big players right um anyway these are these are all the things that we have to deal with on a regular basis, and some people would put this into effect the culture war. I don't know that, I because I you know as as I as I try to get deeper into this stuff and really try to look at the the undercurrents of what's happening through the through the lens of social media, which isn't perfect, but is what we have available to us and is certainly better than anything we had in the past. Yeah. Um, is is there's this like there's this simultaneous chorus of left and right doesn't matter, but Right. But but I really need to focus on this stuff. But if you make any kind of a joke that's considered slightly offensive or is like legitimately offensive, but also kind of funny, yeah. is <laughs> that is legitimately offensive. But is but that's the that's but the that's, humor in it. Right. That's sort of the point. Um, you know, if you're not if you don't have that kind of a uh, it, it, there's still that reaction against it. And so it's I don't know. This is where I do think, as you know, I've talked about a lot, I think this is a consequence of temperament. This is a con- consequence of something more fundamental to your essence and, and your political identity really, especially today, right? This has been different throughout history, but especially today is oftentimes a consequence of your personality more so than it is um, any deeply held belief. It's much more a function of your own psychology than it is you know, oh, I, I read these books and these ideas made sense to me. And so I latched onto them. And and the people who have read the books and these ideas latched onto them, that's a consequence of the psychology. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. So yes, like, which absolutely. is which is the 100%. part which is the part I think some people will miss um, in that is like, well, but yeah, but I'm like this. It's like, OK, well, everybody isn't like you. Right. Which we'll get to in a sec. But let's get back to Fauci's emails. Um, so the sudden about face as it relates to the lab leak hypothesis and rendering mask wearing moot seemed out of place for a regime willing to halt productive members of society. Then, the news broke this week that a FOIA request had been made for Fauci's emails. Given to the Washington Post and BuzzFeed News, we're already witnessing the narrative discipline in real time, with a CNN opinion piece that, write, that reads, 
At times, it feels like reading someone's diary, albeit a postmodernist redacted diary with a nonlinear timeline. Jesus. At other times, it feels like looking at the celebrity photos on the front pages of People magazine. <gasps> he felt that way too? People are paid to write this stuff. This pe- this is and this is one of those things where like I, you know, sometimes I get down on myself and then I realize that in, you know, in a few hours a day outside of a regular sales job, I can write a better piece than what these people are getting paid to do. Um it's so but and so we've seen so the narrative control so this is this is the point the narrative control because if you listen to a podcast like this then you are outside you know you might you might still pay attention to some mainstream sources or some corporate you know like some of the more legacy sources whatever word we want to use but you're probably in the alternative media space and most of your friend a lot of your friends are and you know any family members you talk to probably are as well at this point or you're not or you don't have friends or you're not close to people whatever it is one thing that I try to stay very conscious of as a creator is that line between is, is trying to bridge that gap between the alternative and the corporate and the corporate space. Um, I'd like to think I do that well enough and it's just a matter of getting the, you know more people finding my message. But I feel there's this so right now my pin tweet tell me what you think of this. Right now my pin tweet is you know I, I think I figured out Twitter which is Twitter is constant in-group signaling that the out-group sees. Yeah. And to the point yeah. is there's a lot of creators in the, you know, in the liberty space because that's the space that I operate in, but I'm sure it exists in the progressive space and in the conservative space, broadly speaking, um, is it, it, they're, f- I'm far, they're far more concerned with constant in-group signaling. And, yeah. they're, and, and I don't know if it's, and I don't know, some of it I think is unconscious or subconsciously done. Um, I think it's, I don't think, because I don't think that they are consciously considering how somebody in the out group perceives the conversation. And look, for some creators, that's exactly the right thing to do. You know, you should message to your audience at all times. That's never really been my interest. I'm more interested in trying to sort cir- short circuit things, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think, because there's, there's sort of, I, I guess I go back and forth, because there's the element of sort of preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. But I, I think Tom Woods has made this point before. The choir also needs to be preached Absolutely. to. Absolutely. So I, I can understand it to a certain extent, but it, it is, and this is something that I'm, I, I've i actually been thinking about, because I don't know if you saw the uh, LP of New Hampshire's uh, tweet. Uh, they put out a tweet, I think, uh, at the, the first day of Pride Month or something like that. Remind, were, yeah, go ahead. Or it was something, I mean... Uh, well, was this the one where that that really naughty meme got posted in response? Um, oh, that might have been it. <laughs> I mean, um, God, it's so bad. Yeah, that. <laughs> I mean, dark humor is not for everyone. Um, and LP New Hampshire, it's uh, just for a little bit of inside baseball. I mean, they recently had a pretty sizable takeover with the Mises Caucus, which, full disclosure, I am a participant of. Um, I don't talk about it on this show too much because it's just I don't you know. Like I said, I'm more interested. I'm more interested in a broader audience. I'm more interested in that larger, you know, that larger understanding of things. The part, the specifics of party politics. While I could get into it and probably cover it pretty well, I don't always see the utility to cover with. Okay, sorry, found it. Sorry, I'm a little bit of a Twitter boomer. No, you're good. So, uh, LP of New Hampshire. All Republicans want to do about wokeness is wine. Libertarians have solutions. Repeal the Civil Rights Act, eliminate disparate impact regulations, end affirmative action, cease federal and state school funding. And so I understand, like, yes, sir, I agree. But I think there's sort of that aspect of you lead off with repeal the Civil Rights Act. There's a huge swath of people mm-hmm. who are going to read that first line yeah. and immediately assume the worst. They're mm-hmm. not reading past that. And so yep. it's sort of it's it's finding the balance between cuz yes people sort of in these circles and to a, they are sort of trying to message to i guess the right broadly speaking right. they're saying the republicans are not mm-hmm. you know treating the whole CRT thing uh yeah. very well but um it, it, it's something that you kind of have to be aware of depending on who how you want to cultivate your audience and and the people that you want to reach and you have to be aware of all the people that you're turning off and that you're closing yourself off to. Yes, and but you can't be, and you can't be afraid of that. I would have, no. mes- I would have messaged that differently. Um, but you know, then again, I cover everything differently. Sure. So there's <laughs> right. So there's something to be said. There's something to be said for that. And like you know, frankly, if I'm working on messaging for the Mises Caucus, it's different than when I work on messaging as LB Muniz. Like right. it's, it's it's a different. It's because of the fact. So I mean, I don't see what's so. Con- the only thing controversial about that 
is how the how the enemies of of people who want to operate within the libertarian party can use that to their advantage. Right. And the real question is and the real the real answer to that is well the enemies are looking for something to use on you anyway, which is again going back to the original point, Twitter is constant in-group signaling that the out-group sees. Right. And it's and and that's that's what plays, that's how you that's how you build your following. And so there is part of what's baked into the cake of these platforms is in fact this exact kind of squabbling that exists and what's surprising to me um you know i don't i'm not that prominent yet will be one day but what's surprising to me is how these prominent you know these up-and-coming voices not trying to call anybody out is how they react to it include actually you know frankly somebody as big as dave smith it's interesting to me the way he will still like he will highlight and elevate a marginal voice yeah like like for me i only like i'm only I do it a little bit because I, you know, I only have like a hundred followers on Twitter. So it kind of makes sense when somebody comes after, if somebody, somebody's going to talk crap, then I'm going to, you know, I'll try and come up with something witty, but I don't right. really engage. Yeah. And I have, you know, I've, I've gone back and forth with some people, but then I always end it with saying like, Hey, thanks for engaging. You know, I really, <laughs> cause that's just my personality. Sure. Yeah. And, and in my mind, Twitter is all in good fun. Um, but even somebody like, like Dave Smith and, and I, I don't know, I don't know. Obviously it works to a certain extent, but is it really worth the effort or is it more worth the effort to organize at the higher level? Uh, because that's, that's what we, that th- I guess this is more of a political question than it is, than it is like a sense making or, or a philosophical question. Yeah. This is more, it's, it's more a of a strategy of, yeah. and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Cause but, I, th- I mean, we're in the same boat, but I think we would both agree with Dave Smith on 99.99% of things. It's not right. a criticism of him. It's yeah, just, exactly. It's just, is this necessarily the best way to be using your time or to to be devoting resources? And it's five seconds to respond to a tweet. So we'll take that into context. My, I think for me, where the sticking point comes is, is it really worth addressing a random opinion? Is it really worth addressing the opinion? Right. Which is a public relations question that you have to, that you kind of have to come about. Quiet dog. That's okay. Um, (laughs) But. That is a public relations question that you kind of like you have to um, you have to address because if you don't get ahead of a narrative, it can get out get out of your feet. However, comma, what occurs with a lot of these um, what occurs with this is I don't know. It just breeds infighting, and this is I think this is just temperamentally, I am averse to that sort of thing. Not because I don't enjoy a good argument and a good fight. I mean, we all love the drama. Because I do. Right. Yeah, I do enjoy it. But I also don't like, but there's like a question of time and place. So, and what's interesting is because I've reached out to some of these people. It's like, I'll be like, hey, come on my show. Let's talk. Because that, this is where I'd rather hash out a disagreement mm-hmm. um, than, in, than in a tweet. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm, that changes, I'm sure, as you get busier. But what's always interesting is whenever I've reached out to these people who, you know, whether they're operatives in the LP who are kind of against maybe the Mises Caucus types or, you know, general random people on Twitter who claim to be a libertarian but who disagree with something that I say, they almost never, they, they flake. They flake every single time. Um, I don't know if that's just because their perception of me is that I'm, you know, maybe, maybe I just come off as a complete and total jag off uh which means they've never listened to me because i'm very reasonable i'm very yeah. I'm very like kind but I, but I so i don't i don't i don't quite get that i i i wonder if it well I, you have to under something that you always have to take into consideration is that twitter even when you have your name to a profile and when you have your picture there's still a, a certain degree of safety and anonymity behind mm-hmm. this is a keyboard and I can type whatever I want, and there's no ramifications. Whereas even if it's just, you know, on a Zoom call or something like that, but of 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 voice conversation, is sort of a little more personal. It's it's taking that next step, and it, it can get a little more confrontational. And so yeah. if, if somebody is not that secure about themselves, mm-hmm. it, it's it, it's not a big step, but it's one step further than they're willing to go, mm. than hi- hiding behind the safety of. The keyboard and, and and the written word rather than the spoken word. Yes. Oh yeah. And and that's that's all. But this is where. So my response to that because I don't disagree with anything you say is this is one of the reasons why I want to try and help teach people how to use like social media better, and, and like and try to put it in the proper frame. So let's finish out this piece and then move on to the the next one because it because it, it kind of connects to the, what you were just saying. So the question that I still haven't found an answer to is when the FOIA requests came in from BuzzFeed News and the Washington Post, right? 
That is to say, how long the government bureaucracy had to protect itself and maintain narrative discipline before releasing the emails. As with most questions, only time can tell. The issue with this, the issue where this comes out is it's, it's, almost, an exer- it's almost an exercise in futility. With the exception of the fact that somebody will learn from somebody, if I actually go and document that and you can actually see it happen, somebody will learn from it. But it's an exercise in futility in the fact that it's uh, the deed has already been done. Yeah, they've already done the thing that they need to do. They're maintaining the narrative discipline. People don't care. Most most people don't care. Most people just want to feel the way that they feel about a story. They're not interested in moving forward. And what the very logical position from the you know every man's perspective is: listen, if the price for me to get back to normalcy is taking the getting my pokes then i'm gonna get my pokes and i can't there is um there's a certain type of you know libertarian who might argue with that but i don't i yeah you you can't i mean i I can't you know and, and just and i am i am fortunate enough to be i'm fortunate enough to be in a position where i have that choice right like i can i can make that choice about when i choose to get the to get the pokes not everybody is in that choice. And this is, just as a quick aside before we move into the next article, this is one of the reasons why if you're listening to this and you're not where you want to be in your life, I, I highly encourage you to find someone. I mean, I do it a little bit, but other people do it better than me. Find somebody to help you with your mindset and help you to achieve things in your life. And also just to be in that frame of mind of like, I am going to succeed. I talk about it. So what's interesting is I don't spend a ton of time talking about it on the show, but I feel like I've been told it comes through. But that's so... That's so important to me and it's so critical. Like I say, I say a lot that if I haven't, you know, quite written it out, but I'll often make reference to the fact that if Epictetus, who was a Stoic philosopher, if he could find freedom as a slave, so can we. Right? Like I've talked about my like the fact that I could be considered a debt slave because I have so much I have so much student debt and it takes a lot of my income every single month to pay that off. I still am fortunate enough to have worked hard and to put myself in the right position to where I can afford a decent life, where I can fly to Miami for a week to come hang out with you. And, you know, and, and it doesn't, it, two years ago, this trip would have killed me and I wouldn't have been able to, I wouldn't have been able to afford it if I would have been able to have come at all. Right. I would have been like beyond budget and I would have had to eat like ramen for a month to make it, to make up for it. Now, like I'm good. Like this is all within budget. This is nothing to this. You can get there. And that question is different at 20 than it is at 28. And it's different um, and it's different depending on where you are in your life. But it's so important to remember that looking to politics, you know, we all have an interest in politics here, but looking to politics for your answers is the problem. Yeah. And finding freedom for yourself means making yourself somebody who can be free. Yes. And, and focusing more, I mean, there's, there's always the type of person who is the super activist and they're always looking outward and, and, and that's what they're focusing on. But I, I really think for most people, it, your, your first priority needs to be about ensuring freedom for yourself and for your family. Yeah. How many rich activists have you met? Yeah, exactly. Listen, the activists rely on the kindness of others. They, they rely on other people's contributions. Um, I, there are good, of course there are good activists out there, but I'm not a big fan. I'm just not. I'm not a fan of the idea of like, oh, what I do is activism. If you have a cause, if you're working in education, like I think that's marginally different. Mm -hmm. But I just there's always this there's just this constant trend of people who think of themselves as activists and they have this um, they have this purity ethic of poverty. It's like it's almost this Christian notion of um, asceticism. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's it's because of the fact that I spend so much time on this that I don't have money. And it's like, well, then what are you doing? Yeah, like right. the best one of the best decisions in my life a few years ago was when I was you know I had my other show I wasn't writing nearly what I'm writing the amount that I'm writing now or as good as I'm doing now and I was trying to balance that and my new job and I said you know what I'm going to focus on what's making me money I'm going to focus on what's making me money you know what that put me in a position to do write all the time mm-hmm. and now this makes me money too not a lot but if you want you can go to binawake.com slash subscribe i'm offering a 50 percent discount a lifetime discount between now and the one year anniversary of the show so you can pay 50 dollars for full access to the archives bonus episodes q's q and a's as we grow as a community a um, bunch of other good stuff you know direct access to me as it were and you know just kind of gives me a little bit lets me know people are listening and you know that's something i'm offering for anybody who takes uh who wants to take me up on that now. So you can go to binawake.com slash subscribe, level up your reality, and uh, we can work together to build the project of better sense making. But don't be afraid. There's, 
anybody, especially in God, especially in our circles, the fact that anybody would would bemoan somebody for working on their their you know their job or their career is um, it's just silly. Yeah, and Ron Paul talks about this in uh, in his uh, book, the the School Revolution, where he he makes the, draws the distinction between your vocation and your career or your mm-hmm. job, and a lot of people have it drilled into their head that those have to be the same thing. That, yeah. that your vocation is sort of what you're called to do, what your passion is, what you love to do. Mm-hmm. And that does not have to be the same thing as your career. What is, for most people, the much better choice is find a career that you can succeed in, that you can yep. do well in, that will give you the disposable income and eventually you know, the, the resources to, in your spare time, pursue your vocation. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, most people would be happier going into a job in IT or something like that and being able to make a great income and then on the side being able to pursue their passion of ancient Roman philosophy rather than going to college, being poor, getting the PhD, and then trying to become a classicist and make $20,000 a year until you're 35 years old. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe one day you get tenure, maybe you don't, you know, yeah. The first option is going to be the much better choice for most people. I mean, with what I'm doing here, right, is I'd be I'd be fine to go up against any adjunct professor in the country. Yeah. Right. As far as like how and not even not even in a confrontational manner. Sure. But even I know that I can hold a conversation. I could hold a conversation with them. I could, you know, cite things relatively well. Um, that also means I'm pretty, you know, and I'm also but I'm also really good at sales. Mm-hmm. I think. You know, I think, frankly, some of this comes back to the what I, you know, I, I know I, I kind of start to I kind of start to define it in the next piece. But what I what I'm entitling the egalitarian delusion, which is which I'm trying to I'm trying to separate it out a little bit from like egalitarianism per se. Um, so talk to talk about the delusional aspects of it, because, of course, I do agree with this you know general Christian notion of treating, you know, treating somebody like a brother, like treating somebody as if they were you and we are all um and and and, re- and understanding what it really means to say we are all made in the image of God, whether mm-hmm. you want to take that in a strictly metaphorical sense or if you want to use the larger theological constructs as well. So let's talk about the utility of false information. Why women must remain the victims. This is uh, this is a little spicier of an article. So thanks for thanks for joining me with it. Um, All right. So last week I noticed a particularly pernicious headline featured on LinkedIn. Women work more days for the same pay. The source was a Bloomberg article whose headline read, U.S. women had to work 42 more days to earn what men did in 2020. The original source, though, was an annual Pew Research article whose headline read, Gender Pay Gap in the United States Held Steady in 2020. Now, the gender wage gap has been a point of contention for years. It is a falsehood supported by misinterpreted raw data. While being debunked countless times, the narrative persists. I'm going to answer why this is. Before we dive deeper, though, here's the irrefutable Thomas Sowell addressing the issue with data tracing back to 1969 in less than two minutes. So I I would agree with that, but you would also have to agree that, generally speaking, women are paid less, for example, for the same jobs as men. No, I would not. I would not agree with that. If you're talking about women with the same number of years of experience, with the same continuous service, et cetera, et cetera, then when I look at that, I don't find that disparity. I find, for example, in many cases, the women are making more, depending upon how you break the data down. The difference with women is is between married women and everybody else. That's the real difference. Well, even as to single women, the Census Bureau statistics, the most recent ones I could find, 1978, say that single men are earning $11,100 and single women are earning $9,300. Yes, I I love the word single that is used. When I did my study, I didn't use single, I used never married. You see, a woman who is single at age 40, having spent 10 or 20 years raising children, is really not quite the same as a man of age 40 who's been working continuously for 20 years. And the differential she cited is not that great, so it could easily be accounted for by, by, by the Yes, because raised. when I break them down the other way, I, I did this for the academic world, and there I found the uh, women who are never married, which is the term way I, I take it, uh, there they were earning more than the men. And similarly, when the government did data some years ago on women who had been working continuously since high school into, the thir- into the, their 30s, 
uh, there you found that they were making slightly more than men of the same description. So the difference is between married women and everybody else. And it's a crime that Thomas Sowell isn't the most prominent economist of American history. Like, yeah, like, you know, Rothbard, great, obviously love him. But Mm -hmm. like just Tom, just as like for like the truest American, I don't know. I, I think anytime he talks, it's always so good. And, you know, he's still with us, thankfully. But it's such a crime. The fact that Paul Krugman is generally a, a more well-known or name. Or Robert Reich. Or Robert Reich, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah, it's a travesty. But let's talk about framing, because framing matters. It's an important tool, and it's the difference between the perception of a hero or a villain. Put another way, it separates one man's trash from another man's treasure. If every story is an iceberg, most will only see it above, say in a helicopter. Fewer will land on the iceberg to inspect the surface, and fewer still will go below the water to see how deep the iceberg extends through the blackness of the deep sea. What you get in this newsletter, by the way, is the equivalent of a deep-sea ride-along. The framing of this insipid story is clear. No matter what women do, society still thinks less of them. Framing is also really important, because we just and we just heard an example of that in the clip that I just played, which is the difference between single women and never-married women. Single and never-married, which is a very important distinction to make. And philosophically speaking, a good question is better than, the, is better than an answer. Mm-hmm. A good question is how you find a better answer, always in every decision. So so we've been hinting at the egalitarian delusion. So this is kind of what I wrote about it this week. It's it's evocative to be sure, so allow me to explain. In its simplest of form, egalitarianism is the belief that we as humans are equal. There is always more to say, but for the context of our conversation, we are concerned with how our perception of reality becomes distorted when we take an idea too far. By egalitarian delusion, I am not referring to the sage advice of treating people as if they were equal. The delusion comes when you expect everything to fit the false reality you were told to believe. People care more about narratives than they do facts, and the narrative many believe is that women have been historically oppressed by men. I'm not here to deny any real suffering and oppression, but this narrative is akin to using a rusty hatchet to perform open-heart surgery. It won't end well. Those in power prefer a population internally divided. Pretending that women and men have been at odds with men oppressing women for all of human history is a very useful construct for maintaining social control over a population. Putting forward the false narrative that women, quote, earn less for the same amount of work helps accomplish this task of casting women as a perpetual victim, even though women can and do exceed many men in the workforce. I don't have to find some esoteric essay in the dark corners of the web to prove my point. The Pew study that is the source for the articles linked above gives us the answer. And quoting from that Pew research article, it says, Much of this gap, the gender wage gap, has been explained by measurable factors such as educational attainment, occupational segregation, and work experience. The narrowing of the gap is attributable in large part to the gains women have made in each of these dimensions. In other words, as more women have entered the workforce and cultural attitudes have rightly shifted about the type of work women are capable of, the gap, in that it is measured, has closed. One way in which this statistic further clouds reality is that they compare all working women and all working men equally. The legal assistant, for example, is measured equally to his awesome lady lawyer boss. Choice should be valued by free men and women, and we shouldn't be surprised when those choices lead to outcomes that appear unequal on paper. I make the point about choice because other major contributing factors to the wage gap is motherhood. Also, like, also specific roles, right? So, you know, if you go work in a store as a woman, a garbage collector is going to make more as well. See, the government doesn't like it when they can tax your labor, which is why they can't stand women who choose to raise children. That is the utility of false information. It creates a believable narrative the powerful can use as a metric of social control. And oh, and by the way, just because this is my this is my little footnote on there. And yes, men can also take on the role of primary get- caregiver. If any eligible women are listening to this and are looking for that arrangement, you should reach out because because yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not opposed to having some you know having uh, a, like a doctor wife who you know and staying home and raising the kids. And that, that concludes uh, LB's. Uh tinder ad there. yeah right yeah that this is yeah because because this 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 podcast is going to help me on <laughs> tinder that's for sure in the way the way the world works i don't know what what do you um how do these ideas strike you because you know the, this gender wage gap is something that we always talk about it's it's a perennial topic and it's and it's a purpose it's 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 purposefully mal identified information and it's used politically to i think i mean as i said in the piece to drive people apart i mean it's it's been so convincingly disproven and debunked for such a long time. I mean, the, the clip that we listened to is from, what, 79? Probably, yeah. Uh, and and yet it's 
it's always the exact same conversation. It's always the exact same argument. So that that shows you that there's more going on beyond just, well, people are sort of being misled into thinking whatever it is. It, it, a delusion, the egalitarian delusion, is a good way to put it because there's something, there has to be something sort of psychological mm-hmm. going on here with right. how this has just persisted for such a long time despite any, I mean, a, like, as you pointed out, the very Pew study that all of these articles cite explains it. And what it, is that? An ex- that's an example of narrative discipline, yeah, right? Yeah, so, like, exactly. we can have the headline that most people are going to read, but we can say, oh, no, 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 we covered this. The same way in which there's no smoking gun on the Fauci emails, and there never yes. will be, this with, with Hillary Clinton as well. Like, the elite, they have a different set of rules if you're an elite, and you get and you get to operate on a different uh, on a different playing field because your mission is different, and the mission is social control. Mm-hmm. And it's like uh, earlier on in the COVID thing, uh, Tom Woods used to point out this uh, this uh, case a lot that there was there was an article that was published on some news site that it was some young kid I don't remember how old but had had died of COVID. Mm-hmm. It was a, a young person, and obviously the headline was meant to make it sound like, oh my gosh, this is awful. Yep. Everyone's everyone's uh, at risk. It's the young people, whatever. And buried several paragraphs down in the story mm-hmm. is that the kid had leukemia. Yeah. It's, which is horrible. And, yes, you know, right. It's, it's honestly horrible for and those And it's not fa- to say that, that the COVID wasn't the catalyst that, that did kill him, but there's a that's obviously a big piece of the information right. that we're missing out on. Yeah, if you say that I died of um, cancer, but I was really shot in the head, you would be like... Uh, yeah, right. Well, like, yes, he had cancer when he died, but... Right. <laughs> but what are we doing? But what are we actually talking about here? You know, I also like how this connects to what you were just talking about with the vocation and your... And your, and your um, like the different, what was it? The, the vocation. vocation and I don't remember career. the exact vocation and career. But vocation and career is what uh, I, Scott Adams put puts this in the frame of you know don't uh, don't pursue your passion, pursue skills that you can yeah. that can actually make you money. And Mike Rowe talks about this a and lot too. Ex- exactly, and very and it's very true. And it's it's also interesting enough to the context of the piece. It's also a very masculine idea. Let's be real. Yeah. Um, and most importantly, as it relates to the egalitarian delusion, is is the way we kind of prime the way we prime young children because we all were like oh are you going to be a scientist or are you going to be a doctor are you going to be a lawyer it's like well you know as jason stapleton says we need ditch diggers too mm-hmm. but but forget the ditch diggers we need plumbers we need electricians mm-hmm. we need and these are highly skilled jobs yeah. that a lot of people can do and they're not glamorous but you'll make a good living mm-hmm. yeah you know jose galison just did an interview um with this guy who called himself schroeder who talked about his time in the military um, and, and how he like you know he was supposed to be an air traffic controller. He ends up getting put as a door gunner, and he tells a few stories of just wow. you know the realities of war and how it affected him. And it's really powerful. I helped turn those into clips. You can go check out Jose Galison, and he can um you can and you can check out that interview. I'd highly recommend people listen to it. But uh, one thing that stuck out to me was when he was talking about like going into the mil- going into college. He wanted to be a marine biologist. And then now that he's getting out of the army and he's going to like work for the rest of his life, he's like, I don't want to do that. I like working with my hands, man. I'm going to become a welder. You know, I'm going to do this, become mm-hmm. a mechanic and a welder, work really hard and get this sort of idea. And it's this idea that, you know, this is the egalitarian delusion is that everybody has to go to college. The egalitarian delusion is that everybody has to have some kind of high pain, high pain or has to have some kind of white collar job. Yeah, that, that's because high pain isn't right. even isn't even can, the right term phrase. Blue collar jobs. But there right. are people there are people with blue collar jobs who make more than me as a salesman. Yeah. And and good on them for it because they've been yeah. doing it for thirty years. Right. Like so, of course they should make more money than I do right now, even though I want more. But we always want more. And, and this is um. So this is how it plays in. But this is how it plays into a story like this. And just like race and racism is the oldest and most persistent method of social control in America, this gender argument is the same thing. Where this mm-hmm. is about dividing people. This is about social control. What gets difficult then is how do you interact with the ideas? And I don't know that I have. Excuse me. I usually don't do that right into the microphone. Um, I don't. You're on ha- vacation. <laughs> there aren't more. There, there isn't one answer to this, and this is why it's so important to meet people where they are, and to not be, and to not always try to be right, but to try to listen to people if you're if you're going to persuade them. Mm-hmm. There's a time and a place, right? Like this is a podcast, so I'm not going to listen to people on my podcast. I'm here to talk. But if I'm getting to a conversation or an interview with somebody, it's 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 important to listen, and it's important to meet people where they are. It's these things are perennial. They're going to be another article about this next year. Oh sure, um, and yeah. that's this is not know, going away anytime soon. Exactly. So let's 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 do this Black real quick because we've got oops because we've got some things to get to today. 
Um, but I just thought it would be fun for us to end on this. It's 28 seconds of Joe Biden talking about black entrepreneurs. And, you know, the, the Republicans like to talk about the bigotry of low expectations. And it's it's a useful term, but it doesn't really do much. Um, it, it doesn't. It's that's an in-group thing. Bigotry of low expectations is about the in-group. It's yeah. not about the out-group. It's not about reaching across the aisle. Mm-hmm. It's about um, it's about making the people inside of the group feel better as it were. But this is Joe Biden talking about white and black entrepreneurs. The data shows young black entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding given the chance as white entrepreneurs are. But they don't have lawyers, they don't have, they, they, they don't have accountants, but they have great ideas. Does anyone doubt this whole nation would be better off from the investments those people make, and I promise you, that's why I set up the National Small Business Administration that's much broader, because they're going to get those loans. The data shows. Young- at least he didn't say that poor kids are just as good as white kids, <laughs> yeah. which, which is also something yeah. he said. As, as Michael Malice likes to say, we live in the best timeline. It is the best timeline. I mean, this is literally, I, I've, I've put out there a couple of times, you might have seen it, but like President Biden, is the, is, he's the presidential equivalent of a clip show. That, that's what yeah. it, that's what he is. Yeah, yeah. He's the presidential equivalent of a clip show. He's just playing the hits yep. and he's trying to keep he's trying to make sure that he can stretch things on for one more season yep. so that you can milk everything you can yep. out of a system. Mm-hmm. This goes back to the point that we talked about at the beginning of the Unt- show of the collapse of the elites. Until we get to the Kamala Harris spinoff in two years. <laughs> wow, yeah, damn. I really <laughs> hate I really hate when my metaphors work that well, dude. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. That's what I'm here for. Here's another example of the egalitarian delusion at play here. Um, because it's just a question, because the, the, I, I, no, let, and, but let me preface this. Of course, of course, you know, a black entrepreneur is just as capable as a white entrepreneur mm-hmm. because somebody who's going to be an entrepreneur, no matter what skin color they are, is like an awesome person. Yeah. And, and the, and the enterprising spirit, I don't believe is locked inside of one ethnicity or one race. No. It's, it's, it's a, it's a human condition. And while some of it may be temperamental, some of it is like biological. It's also a skill that can be learned. Like I never would have thought of myself as an entrepreneur five mm-hmm. years ago. It wasn't how I was raised thinking like that. But today I think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. I do it with the show and I do it in my main start from a main source of income as well. It's thinking of myself as an entrepreneur. The lie is that by changing the special business administration that that's going to actually that's going to actually fix things. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's Sorry. Stuck. How do you develop it, it's, internet? It's well, top-down solutions right. to 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 problems that require uh, bottom-up solutions. Exactly. And while I do, you know, like again, I think what's what's also fascinating is with technology, we have the ease of which, you know, crowdfunding making that better. Um crowdfunding the internet in general social media it, right. it's it's you easier see, than ever you see me hesitating because what i'm about to say is going to be con- is, is is pretty controversial to to say out loud but part of the I, I would i would look at i would look at part of the issue being that the high in-group selection of the black of, of american blacks because they're because it's highly in-group and 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 so much of the it, from my perspective so much of the black american identity is in opposition to white people broadly speaking, for good historical reasons. I'm not denying any of that. Um, But because of that, and and then then that has a consequence of politics, which is to say they all vote, they generally vote as a monolith for Democrats. There comes a point, you know, there's, there's a, there's, there comes a point where something has entropy and you start to believe the lies that are told about you. And I, I've talked about being a, a, I was bullied a lot as a kid um, I've had there have been really negative people in my life who are no longer a part of my life who have made who, who made me feel like I'm less than, um, you know, like people have said, I can't do something like this. People have said I'm not a good singer. I am a good singer like, <laughs> like this. But this is these are like real things that I think yeah. happens to everybody. And what I find so destructive about a victim morality, a victim narrative, as we were just talking about in the piece about the gender wage gap is I really do believe that people who for the people who want to achieve they can and we live in a time where anybody can do that more so than uh, around the world even regardless of the ethnicity even though in the past the infrastructure was highly selected for racial groups obviously so and you know yeah. redlining and also you know we just passed i think this was at a speech for the tulsa massacre right so there's black wall street that was in tulsa yeah there was the fact that southern states wouldn't let blacks migrate in in, in the jim crow south mm-hmm. so that they couldn't naturally go to a place where they'd make more money of course these are horrible things and as a consequence this, this these people this people i should say because i'm trying to refer to the, the the grouping of it 
they suffer as, as, a, as, as, as a consequence. Yeah. And, you know, or, you know, instead they have to, you know, like go turn to crime because they're in a lower area and there's not as much opportunity. But man, you know, it's one of those things like if you've never met a real hustler, like, yeah, you know, that guy could have been Jeff Bezos yeah. in a different con- or maybe not 100%. Jeff Bezos. But how about how about a how about a guy with a restaurant? Is yeah. It, right. Like it, you don't have to be Jeff Bezos. That's that's part of the thing is like you don't have to be the, the top of the guy. Yeah. You don't have to be Bezos or Bill Gates or any of these people. You mm-hmm. can just be the guy who owns a couple, you know, three or four different stores over here and he makes a really nice living for himself. And, exactly. And, yeah. And that and that guy's there's going to be fewer of those people on average than there will be salesmen or any anything yeah. given out. But this is just I mean, this is the type of racial pandering that's so prevalent in the political discussion and I think is so destructive. Um I don't know, but it's also funny to laugh at somebody, laugh at the president when he says that, you know, rich kids or white kids, you know, he just conflates rich with white. <laughs> and it's, it's probably because, you know, let's be real. He likes it when children touch his hair. It's <laughs> <laughs> it is fun watching him deteriorate in real, in time. real time. Yeah, in real time. Like it's it's um, if there was anything more ludicrous than Donald Trump being president, it is Joe Biden. Yeah. Being president. For people like us who don't particularly put a lot of faith in the presidency, it's yeah. really fun. I yeah. can imagine for the more blue pill types, this is uh, yeah, pretty horrifying. Right. Well, I think I think there are people who do what they're told, so they're going to just take it as being like, oh, yes, yeah, right. right. For like, so people yeah. inside of the narrative, this is a this is a perfect story, right? Because it allows it allows for like you know the broader white community to give their mea culpa. Mm-hmm. It allows the the elevation and. Anyway, if we had a little more time, we might have talked about this in more of a, a bonus uh, uh, segment because I just read a really interesting article that Barry Weiss put out with Katie Herzog. Um, I know those names are anathema in libertarian circles, but I don't care. Um, I think becoming less so. I mean, uh, Barry, see... I mean Barry Weiss is, uh, is whatever, but Katie Herzog is. Uh-huh. I, 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 that's the reason why I read the pieces because she wrote it. But mm-hmm. well, and you uh, see, like a lot of libertarians having a lot more affinity for people like Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi. And, yeah, and, and Katie Herzog types. is in the yeah. is in the Glenn she's Greenwald camp for or, sure. Orbit, yeah, yep. Um, and she, and so she's great. And Barry Barry's nice too. I just she's not great on foreign policy. She's, but yeah. <laughs> but let, but I digress. Um, thanks everybody for listening to this episode. If you're interested, please head over to beenawake.com slash subscribe, sign up with your email address. If you would, if you wanted to give me, if you wanted to become a premium subscriber, you do get extra bonus episodes, bonus content, um, all that good stuff and plenty more to come with that. Uh, you know, you can go follow me on Twitter at the LB Moniz and we'll see you next week. like what you heard today, go to beenawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.